Today, our very honored guest is my biggest fan and faithful confidant, my mom. And our grandma. That's right, our grandma. We're so excited to be celebrating her birthday. We decided it was her turn to hear her side of the story. Every single week, she listens to the episodes and gives me feedback. She loves the show and she loves people. My favorite thing about her is how much she loves learning and growing and exploring new ideas. What's your favorite thing about her? I like that she still loves hikes and she's about to turn 60 years old. Yes, that is so much fun. I love that she is always available and comes to all of my things and that she is a wonderful gift giver. She is most thoughtful and always at everything. She makes us all feel amazing about ourselves. I think that sums her up pretty good. You guys did great. Let's jump in today to what's real and true and good. I hope it encourages your life. Happy birthday, Alma. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Hello, my wonderful friend. Welcome to freedom. Welcome to a space of belonging. This is the Ash and Ivy Show. My name is Riley, and I'm totally geeking out to be here with you. I am challenging you to know your identity, find God's voice in your story, and give your life as a gift to the world. You have a voice and a message that only you can give. So let's do the divine work and make God visible through our lives and be in awe of what life is all about. Hey, Mama. (laughs) Hey, Riley. (laughs) I'm super glad you're here. We're celebrating your birthday today yay me gosh (laughs) big birthday this year yes how old you're turning 60 on monday 60 years old yes how okay what's your like first reaction to saying that out loud have you practiced well i have because Last year for my birthday, I got this beautiful journal and I thought, how can I use such a beautiful journal? And so what I decided to do was write day one of my 60th year, day two of my 60th year, because actually on your birthday is the culmination of your year. If you think about a baby When they turn one, it's the culmination of one. So for 358 days, I have written day, whatever, of my 50th year. So you're a pro. You've got this down then. And have really considered where my heart and where my mind were on that day and where I was headed. Yeah. Yeah. And so the closer, though, (laughs) there's only a few days. (laughs) In some ways, it made it feel like the the year was rushing by. And in some ways, it felt like it made the year very intentional. I would think so. And now it feels like a little bit of pressure that the year's almost over. <laughs> right. Like, oh, it has to come to an end and 61 will begin. <laughs> Tell us kind of about your life, who you are, and paint a picture of how we should see you if if the listener doesn't know who you are already. Yeah. 
Um, well, I have been a stay-at-home mom for a very long time, and I've had children in my home very for a very long time. Riley happens to be the oldest, and uh, the the youngest is seventeen, going on eighteen, and um, I became a stay-at-home mom. I don't know how old I was, but my second child was about eight years old. So it was a long time. And um, and really have spent my life nurturing and caring for children. And more recently, the last 10 years, probably caring for the elderly or the dying. And um, in that process, discovered that I was extremely passionate about health and nutrition and not only living our very best life, but discovering in that process the ability to die well, uh, die in peace, die free from horrific sicknesses if at all possible, um, to give to give hope and caring in that time. Uh, whether you feel bad in your current life and you need help finding a better life or you're walking towards the end of your life and you're afraid. Um, I have five and four-fifths grandchildren. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Super excited waiting alongside you for number six to come along. And I love my grandkids so much. Um, it's so fun to just uh, nurture them. I love my dog. I love birds. <laughs> I love the springtime. I love growing things. I like healthy food. That's awesome. So I thought of this question and I don't know the answer. Did you always want kids? Like, did you know that you were going to, did you want four kids? Did you want? I am so glad you asked me that question because my children, the fact that I have four children and a large family are actually the Lord giving me the desire of my heart when I, I, and I, I never asked for it and had no idea, mm-hmm. but I was raised in a dysfunctional family and I got married young, trying to escape that. And honest to goodness, the only happy families I knew were on TV, which weren't happy or real at all. And So in my desperation, I got pregnant the first time on purpose, not not by accident or anything. I was married and I wanted a baby, but I I hoped that baby you would be an answer to a heart need. I, I didn't have Jesus and I didn't have security or identity. And I had a second baby for that very same reason. You know, just just looking for for happiness and fulfillment and completeness. And I continued that journey with other things like a college degree or this or that. Just kept looking for what only Jesus could actually give me. And then later in life, um, with God, 
um, and, and our home being a Christian home, I received the calling God placed on our hearts, you know, to adopt Bree and then later on to adopt Bodie. And so that caused me to have children in my home for 30 plus years, nurturing and mothering. And I found myself to be a professional nurturer and motherer without realizing that's actually what I was good at. <laughs> I was just doing it. And I guess that points to something about me, my lack of understanding of myself, maybe. But then you guys got older and you got married. Two of you got married and then there are our grandchildren and Jay and I have this brood of 13 people that belong to us that are my greatest accomplishment and my greatest source of happiness and joy. And what I realized in looking back is that when I gave up my college dreams to get married, I was looking for a family. Yeah. And he gave, and I didn't even know God and I didn't even know that, but he gave me the greatest desire of my heart. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's so cool. I think it's neat how like our lives, I've been talking about this with some other people too. Oftentimes our dreams do become a part of our lives as we kind of step towards what we want and whatever, but at the same time, they come with hardship and challenges and they rarely look the way we think they're going to look. And every, like every beautiful thing also comes with a hard thing and a cost or a sacrifice, or, you know, it's never just simple and dreamy. It's still life and Mm -hmm. comes with work. Right. Right. A couple of podcasts ago with the, the doula, and she talked about accepting the hard part and accepting that it was coming through you. The baby was coming through you or life was coming through you. And that part of making that journey a peaceful one was accepting that. And that spoke uh, tremendously to me because I think that my childhood taught me to fight, uh, to fight for whatever I needed. Um, and I have a habit of that even still today. And, and so it meant a lot to me to consider. And it, it fed into what the Lord has been teaching me uh, for some time now. But it fed into that. Accepting that life lessons and circumstances and various things are that I'm a vessel for that whether it is for me or for someone else, but this body is the tabernacle of the most high Lord and things come through it. 
as a vessel, being a vessel for the Lord and the growth and that some of those hard things that come are for growth and, but the acceptance part of it. Yeah. It's like changing your belief system to realizing that truth and beautiful doesn't mean without pain or without hard or without work or digging deep or all those things, you know? Well, I guess that I was thinking about that this morning, like, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom and this idea of like, what, what is the promise in seeking the kingdom, seeking a kingdom life and seeking a purpose-filled life of making way for God and making space for him. And, um, is there like this trust component in that? that you trust all of these things are happening for you, that God is for you. And Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I do. And I think that um, a way that God has prepared me, um, you've mentioned here and there through Ash and Ivy about contemplative prayer. And I practiced contemplative prayer for about a year I would say two years ago. Tell us the definition of that. Well, I don't know if I know it precisely, but I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you what I, what I understand, but it's more of a meditation. It's a, it's not so much talking. Um, It's a sitting with God, listening for what he has to say Um, and I think the purpose of it is that when there is not busyness, you take a time to not be busy. Um, you don't rush, um, and, and you're not necessarily asking for anything other than the Lord's presence. Um, it's. It, it does, the definition does not mean you don't read scripture, but it's not about scripture so much, at least not for me. Um, and I, I didn't have anyone really to guide me. I just read a monk and I felt moved uh, to practice. And I just spent a lot of time every day, every morning, sitting with the Lord. And what I discovered and what I grew confident in is that he was there. I wasn't asking for anything. I wasn't praising him. I wasn't reading scripture. I wasn't meditating on anything. I wasn't doing any kind of work or discipline. I just desired to sit with him. And he didn't necessarily. (laughs) I'm going to disagree disagree that you weren't doing any discipline because (laughs) sitting quietly is discipline. (laughs) Yeah. But I grew very, I, I went through different phases. Like, am I doing this right? Oh my gosh. Or I'm so uncomfortable. I need to say something or, or I didn't sit, I got up, you know, I went through all kinds of growth 
and it looked different, but I kept coming back to it. And, and so there were insecurities and there were different things. And those insecurities would reveal to me something false that I believed. Yeah. Um, and I, but through the process, I grew very confident that in simply sitting there, he was pleased with me and he was with me. And that has equipped me to move forward in where I am and what you said earlier about going through hard things, but being confident that the purpose was good or that the results were for you or um, various things like that. So that particular discipline uh, that I practiced um, for a while it gave me a great strength there, you know, that no matter what I'm going through, um, whether I feel horrible about myself or horrible in my circumstances or very afraid or very confident, he is right there, right with me. So you're basically practicing his presence despite whatever's happening on the surface. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I guess, I mean, one of the questions I had is, I mean, you talk about your accomplishment is family. And I think kind of as you get to be, you know, as you have a birthday and you contemplate kind of look back on your life and things you think, well, I thought that was important. Maybe, you know, we were talking about things we think are important in our twenties or things we think are important in our 30s and how much it changes so Mm -hmm. like what would you say you found not to be as important (laughs) like okay why did I spend so much energy and effort on that (laughs) so so many things (laughs) oh yeah um Well, I could not be honest with myself or with you guys about myself if I didn't say perfectionism slash people pleasing. Yeah. Uh, um, Just thinking that the could, shoulds, woulds, ought tos, being responsible were the end all to all things. Yeah. I I would say you start kind of loosening your grip on that in your 40s would you I would agree yeah and a lot of people say their 40s are the very best and I think that's why because even if they don't (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and you know I don't know what the world would be like if everyone that was 20 said screw it (laughs) yeah we we have to do all that hard work I think part of it, it it has to be a journey I mean, I don't think we should be hard on ourselves about it because it's learned. It's learned. Yeah. It's learned. You know, the person, you know, we have different, your your brothers and sisters, there are different personalities and some are super go-getters, uptight, get it done, want it just this way. And because they're that way, other things are done less. 
But then that other person who's way laid back, chill, also there's a sacrifice there. You know, so neither personality eliminates the sacrifice of some aspect of life. You know what that means? Does that make sense? And so one is not better than the other. As a matter of fact, the one that's laid back probably needs to learn to pick it up a little. And the one that's going 90 to nothing needs to learn to dial back a little. Chill. But I think we all struggle with it because, you know, maybe we don't, maybe we cannot know the whole issue of it is our identity in Christ, right? But we cannot know it. It's given to us, but we cannot know it without our lessons. Right. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. All the hard comes together to teach us what we need to know and become who we want to be. And yeah, (laughs) it all belongs, right? Majority of the time, the older person does not have the intense responsibilities of little kids and lots of obligations. And And that brings stress. I mean, you just can't get away from it. You can do your best with it, but living in that is a challenge. Yeah. I think in your twenties, like your, your life is full of so many decisions. Like Mm -hmm. you're just bombarded with expenses and decisions and goals. And you feel like your life is in a constant state of change and you're trying to find all the things you're looking for and figure out what you're looking for. Like, yeah. I think it's like a decade of confusion. <laughs> I think in my twenties, cause I had my children so young, I uh, was experiencing um, that huge error of my children are a direct extension of me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, which creates a lot of stress <laughs> on me and the children, <laughs> you know, so that was a big thing to learn is that, no, they have their own personalities and they are doing their own thing. You know, every right thing your child decides doesn't mean you're right. And every wrong thing means you're wrong. Yeah. I think I just saw a meme that said your first child shows you that you like proves that you can be a parent and that you're doing okay. And then your second one shows you that you can't really judge any other parent and that you don't know what you're doing at all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's true in your order, but um, it's definitely true at my house. Like, Oh, I had nothing to do with the success of my firstborn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then we move into our thirties. Hold on. I have a fun question for your twenties. So tell me about your, your fashion in your twenties. Do you have any fashion regrets from your, that stage of your life? (laughs) regrets or Uh, just maybe describe what you well I I had permed hair for sure um how often does that have to be done (laughs) 
I have no idea. <laughs> oh gosh, you mean to keep it permed? Yeah. Oh, not that often. Not that often. Like less than highlights. Yeah. Did yeah, you also have highlights? Was that a thing? I didn't. Did no. some people? Yeah, your dad bleached his hair out blonde, <laughs> orange. <laughs> I was not expecting you to say my dad. Okay. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So we pulled we pulled up a Bon Jovi video two nights ago. Thoroughly enjoyed that, but the hair is just out of this world. I couldn't believe it. I did not have typical 80s hair because I was already married and a mom. Even though I was really young, I did not have the typical very sprayed um, big hair. Um, my hair was a little bit more natural, just long and, and straight. I'll tell you, probably one of the funniest uh, and it was really out of character for me. I can remember like tulip skirts, kind of a little bit similar in today, the poplin sort of like the flowerness yeah, peasant girl, except tighter. So you'd have a long, tight skirt, and then it would kind of flare out at the bottom. Uh, you might have boot tight shoes. So some similarities to today. Big big shoulder pads for sure. Uh, in my twenties would be Madonna and Michael Jackson. So your airplane pants and gloves. Uh, yeah. But one of my funniest clothes situations was that your dad and I were going to a rock concert and we went to see um, Guns N' Roses. And we dressed the part. And so I was dressed like a heavy metal chick. My hair was all teased up. I had on makeup galore, black eyeliner. I had on, um, you know, black around my neck and tight shirt and tight black pants and lace up high heel boots. I was ready to go see Guns N' Roses. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get back to the real. Um, okay, so we were talking about contemplative prayer, and I wanted to take this, and then we talked about accomplishments and what was not as important and maybe what we let go of. And so what I want to ask is how has it sounds like you kind of fight your battles or your fears or work through your dreams and your actions it sounds like contemplative prayer and just quiet time and meditation is your kind of go-to tool. Yes. Do you feel like it gives you clarity or vision or what does it produce in your day-to-day? Is it like your daily bread? How is it actually changing your, the course of your day? Mm-hmm. Um, well, another discipline um, I have is getting up really early. And so that I have a good hour, uh, if not more, to be with the Lord. I started that 15 or 18 years ago, and I moved away from it after a while. It served a purpose. 
It grounded me, gave me that discipline, and then I couldn't do it anymore. I needed more rest. So then there was a season of rest. And now, more recently, year or so, I have moved back into that. I need to be up early. Well, that's and good, though, to kind of like balance or listen to what your body needs and not just stick to it out of obligation or like God only loves me or speaks to me if I do this. Yeah. And I struggled a little bit with that, but I didn't have a choice. You know, my body was sleepy and and I was and I had learned enough, I guess, of the goodness of the Lord to say, this is what I need. You know, and I and I'm still with the Lord and he's still with me and we do other things. And so I moved back into that. And what it does for me is um, it's extremely tangible yet intangible. It is a power and a peace and a groundedness on the inside. Um, One of the aspects of contemplative prayer is uh, to move past the voices in your head. Um, And so it requires enough time for you to become completely silent in your head and in your heart. And that creates a lot of space. It creates perspective. Um, Like, oh, as long as I kept rambling about that thing, it was a thing. But when I sat long enough, whether it was one time or multiple times, to the point where I gained perspective on it and it wasn't so much a thing. I, I don't often hear the Lord's voice audibly, even inside my head, but I hear revelation of how to move forward. And I just carry with me a strength and a peace that helps me manage the day. So I was listening to Ann Voskamp's Lent devotional and she just talks about our strength is in our stillness because when we learn to become that still, we're giving up the fight. We're giving up our own fight and trusting God to fight for us, you know? Mm, And then what I think about for kind of continuing our conversation about the decades is that I've seen you in this past decade, although it may be not quite the whole thing, but in your latter fifties, finding your own voice. And it's like, you can only find it if you're quiet enough to give it space to grow. You know what I I mean? Absolutely. Because listening to other voices is a habit a lifelong habit. I mean, of course, we're little. We all we do is listen to our parents. And, you know, I mean, it just depends. But there are all kinds of voices. And I think there are all kinds of people. But I am definitely a person who is influenced by what I hear. Uh, I hear people say, oh, I just marked that off, you know, not not a part of me. But Uh, I generally am influenced. um, I don't mean I'm wishy-washy or swayed so easily, but 
being careful about what I hear is, is necessary. And, um, yeah, so I think that we have no idea how many voices we hear. There can be voices from literally there are voices from our entire lives talking to us all the time, not to mention our own and Satan's. Um, and so, yeah, working for that quietness. Because you said earlier that the quiet helps you identify the lies. So in that quiet it's like the things that are not true are exposed and it's easier to see because you're leaving enough space to find those things and then change the way you're thinking about something, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. So that's super cool. Well, so kind of going then into this current decade, you know, what lesson have you, what truth or what invitation do you feel like God has given you in life that has outlasted all the rest and is just your, your fuel, the thing that carries you and sustains you? Mm -hmm. Well, there are a couple, um, but one, one that means so much to me that I have it, I had Brie paint it for me on the wall, on a, on a canvas and it's on my office wall, is that in the Passion Bible, in Song of Songs, in the first chapter, the Shulamite, Shulamite woman is saying how um, unworthy she is. And the shepherd king replies with, yet you are so lovely. And then she says again, I'm as dry as the tents in the desert of nomads. And he says, Yet you are so lovely. <laughs> and as I meditated on that, it struck me, it grabbed me. I stayed with it for weeks. And I realized that no matter what kind of no matter what kind of um, thing I was saying about not being enough. You know, I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm, I'm not quick enough. I'm too emotional. I'm every single time. The shepherd King says, yeah, you're so lovely. <laughs> you told me one of the things that you've told me that has really just become a core place in my heart is that I know that you believe you carry heaven in you now that heaven is here and present with you. And you taught me that, um, when Jesus says he came to prepare a place that it was in me now mm -hmm. and that belief and that thinking, it changes the way we live our entire lives, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. so, I know that you, um, transparency and vulnerability and are extremely important to you and that you feel big feelings and, and, and that kind of thing. But I think that the truth that you spread to others is like even, and I guess I think it's important for you to share is that you struggle 
with these thinkings on a daily basis, that it's not something that you've just learned through your twenties, thirties, forties. And now it's like, aha, I've got it. But it's this, like, it's just a constant, it's a constant thing. It's a constant needing to abide and it's a constant needing to change your mind and speak the truth and remember that heaven is in you and, but you continuing to speak it and share it is what gives life to others, you know? Yeah. I love that too. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And when he was talking about being crucified and resurrected, but in that resurrection, he sent the Holy spirit to our hearts. So residing with us, preparing that place with us in our hearts. Awesome, awesome, awesome thing. But yes, the mind game and um, renewing our mind and believing the truth is a challenge for me. And I want to say it's a challenge for everyone. And I have learned ever so recently And it's a truth that I feel is very important to share is that our thing, whatever our, our, uh, you know, our parents weren't perfect. No parents are perfect. And, and um, so we don't accept God. God's our perfect parent. So we don't get that full identity thing. (laughs) We keep, we keep pressing in for it. And we keep battling for it. Um, We keep longing for that kingdom on earth and and God's presence, right? But I would beat myself up because there is trauma in my life and abuse and things that have affected me deeply. And somehow I had in my head that I was supposed to overcome that 100%. As a child of God, and if I relapsed into negativity or pain or sadness, I was upset with myself. And what I feel like the Lord has revealed to me is we all have weakness and we are supposed to have weakness. Weakness is not going away. The weakness is so that I can be strong in you. And the weakness is so that you will recognize humility and humbly bring it. And like our earlier part of our conversation, accept it. Accept it. Don't fight against it and criticize yourself, but accept it and bring it to him and know that that, those hurts, not suffering and hurt, But the aspects of those hurts that have created me and the places where I am weak will always be there. And that does not mean that I'm an immature Christian or that I'm bad or that I have fallen again. And by accepting that, by having grace for myself in that and hopefully giving that grace and permission to other women, It's like, no, you just bring that to the Lord because my hurts and your hurts, my failures and your failures are the details about yourself that are for someone else. 
Mm-hmm. And if you got rid of them, you would forget about them. And you, what good would yeah. you be? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Anytime like you think back or can look back in a journal and go, oh, wow, I've come so far from that. But it's crazy how fast you forget mm-hmm. like when you've learned something or grown, you, you know, let those things go. But continuing to talk about or just being honest about your weaknesses, I think is really powerful and strong, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think your message is, and I'm super excited, you know, for us to embrace that, that it's wrong for us to Hide. not embrace it. We are in sin and pride when we deny our weakness, mm. actually. That's hard to wrap your head around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I remember the person who told me that, and I just was like, physical. Okay. <laughs> like, hmm, I'm just going to think on that. Thank you for saying it. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yeah. Well, um, that's so good. And we do need to chew on it some more. I think, um, I guess that leads me just to kind of my last point. And it's just that this idea of purpose, you know, this whole trendy thing about I mean, it's not new. We all want purpose. We want to feel valued. We want to feel important. We want to have our thing. You know, I I was listening to a parent the other day about her high schooler. I wish, I wish she just had her thing. I wish she could find her thing, you know, and it's, and we want our kids to like attach to something or perfect something or, and then we do the same thing to ourselves, but genuinely like, I was listening to an author the other day and he's like, yeah, I published a book this morning. It came out. I feel no different. Like I feel no different today than I did yesterday. And I think, (laughs) I mean, and then I've, I've watched interviews with like actors and, and there's no satisfaction in the accomplishment because the satisfaction comes in the work and in the journey and in the obedience. And then that first step, like, honestly, when I think about my journey over the past two years, I would probably say, I haven't actually thought through this exactly, but I would probably say I feel most proud or full or like the contentment came in the moment of surrender, not in the, not that I've accomplished much, but I just know from hearing so many other people say like publishing the book will not change you, you know, mm-hmm. starting the podcast or having the baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I'll, getting the degree. <laughs> right, right, right. So whatever it is, it's like, we, we keep, we kind of like get twisted in our head. Like, I don't know my purpose or whatever, but it's like, th- that's a lie in itself because the joy is in, in the daily obedience. It's in the, what did I find when I was in my time with the Lord this morning and how can I serve someone today? That's the thrill of life. You know, Mm -hmm. I guess I just wanted your perspective on that and what you hope for this next season of your life to look like and Mm -hmm. kind of what your thoughts are on all of that. Yeah, I'm going to quote Ann Voskamp again, 
And that's uh, okay because she, she's amazing. Yes. <laughs> she says the miracle, koinonia is always the miracle. And, and if you don't know, koinonia is community, friendship, togetherness. And the Bible says, God says, they will know that you are my people by your love, by your unity. Uh, the kingdom coming, living in the kingdom, living a kingdom life is about love and unity and community. And I believe as I read um, miracles, Jesus's miracles, they are also about koinonia. They're about find my life, find my truth, find my gift to you, and live in community with me and each other. Um, that, that is my greatest desire today, my greatest desire. And um, for my coming decade, I hope that becomes a very big reality because I've listened to uh, your podcast and it feels like every person is going on and on about their community. And I don't feel like my community is very strong. And even though people I know and love and who love me are going to hear me say that, it's not meant to be hurtful. I know they would do anything for me, but I am not currently involved in a, a loving, strong, secure nest of a community. And that's what I hope for. And I do, I think it encompasses the whole purpose. The motive of whatever your passion is, you being every Christian, needs to be with the understanding that we cannot love each other and be in community without the love of Jesus. That that koinonia is the miracle. And I want to bring it and I want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like for you? Like, tell me like your dream, I don't know, Monday morning, Friday night, like, is that, that, that's too personal. Do you have a definition of what that would be or a dream of how that could look? Would it, I know like you really strive to balance just body and mind and soul and I mean, all of that is important to you. And so would it be in community with other people who are like-minded in that? Or I don't know, you tell me kind of like what, it, let's cast our vision for your decade and <laughs> make this happen. I guess what I envision is um, are women who want to be together that it's a priority to them uh, to do life together, to hold each other, uh, others' needs and sins and comforts and honesty, laughing, <laughs> having fun, um, whether it's a book club or quilting or church or Bible study or women's group or um, just a regular commitment, committed yeah. time together. 
Yeah. You know, when I was in my 30s, I had people in my life who I called every day, girlfriends. I had girlfriends that we talked on the phone every day. We process life every day. Currently, I feel like people don't have time for that. And I think they think I don't have time for that. You know, like I can't call Marcy every day. Shouldn't have time for that. And oh, I can't call even you, Riley, every day. Shouldn't have time for that. Um, (laughs) Would you say your 30s and that season was your favorite? It was very good. Yeah. I had lots of friends that, and we did things together. We came together. You came together in the house. You're just talking 90 miles an hour, laughing, talking about the Lord too, praying for each other, calling each other on the phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is good. That's good. All right. Well, let's go out with a couple of fun questions. And, um, so let's just say you're, you're with your girls, all these friends you're going to make this season coming up. Where are you going to go and what celebrity are you going to wish you could see? Oh my gosh. (laughs) You can bring back someone from the past. (laughs) Well, I would say the sexiest man, and you might not agree with me, but is is Matthew McConaughey. So <laughs> I like him, but I'd have to have a woman too. And it would be um, Jennifer Aniston. Most beautiful, really? lady, most beautiful lady on earth. <laughs> I don't know about their personalities. I, was whatever, about to but... <laughs> say, I would definitely love to spend time with Matthew McConaughey, just his book and him and interview is fantastic. Um, yeah, Jennifer Aniston, of course, we could just, she's drop dead gorgeous, but. And she's funny. She's funny. Yeah, funny would be fun. Yeah. I think Jimmy Fallon. Can we invite Jimmy Fallon too? Okay. So <laughs> All right. And where would y'all go? I think that we would go to the coast of Greece. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds fabulous. <laughs> Don't you see that just turquoise blue water with that Mediterranean diet? Oh my gosh. She's thinking about the food. Yes. (laughs) I want to be able to eat well, wherever I go. I don't want to go to Italy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No pasta or bread. Okay. Got it. (laughs) Well, this has been fabulous. And I do believe that this is going to be a fabulous decade for you. I am cheering for you and wish you all the best. And I'm um, wishing you a happy birthday. So thank you for sharing with us. Thank you. I love you. I love you.